Insert gay card. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I'm gay. You can't love yourself. How in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Hi, I'm Robbie Roselle. And I'm Rob Schneider. And this is Gay Card Revoked. Hopefully your gay card is being punched thoroughly with our last previous few episodes. I'm already wasted. Two, I'm more, already wasted. And I, two more and I get a foot long. That's, I'm very excited. <laughs> That's, are you also going to the Eagle? Just Subway. Oh, uh, I eat fresh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. So, Robbie, what, what are we watching today? What are we watching? We're what are watching we discussing? The 1985 documentary, uh, Before Stonewall. Amazing. That is amazing. And don't forget, folks, if you've not seen Before Stonewall yet, please stop listening to us just for now. Go watch the documentary. You can find it on Amazon Prime or you can find it on iTunes. And when you come back, and that way you can engage in our discussion, make sure you've also made yourself a drink. Today's drink is called the Stonewall. Stonewall. Robbie Roselle, would you like to tell us what is in and said Stonewall? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> we Sorry. Have, we're I like, doing great. I like, the, I like these voices. Correct. <laughs> uh, we're doing, it's, uh, the Stonewall is 1.5 ounces, one and a half ounces, friends, of whiskey. Any brown liquor whiskey, do it. Two tablespoons of simple syrup, make your own, or store-bought's fine. Ina Garden would say that. <laughs> <laughs> and club soda top it off that's that's the stonewall and we'll also make sure that we've posted everything on instagram as well so you can follow It'll along be safely much easier than last uh the last episode story. i got i got adventurous on the last one so please forgive me for that really? i made a mistake well tea and on top of everything else it was a nightmare not only have i simplified this week's uh drink it even has the word simple syrup in it what is simple syrup as it's, opposed to complex syrup? Well, it's sugar and water, equal parts sugar and water, boiled down into a syrup. Sometimes I like to smash up some rosemary into it and make a rosemary syrup. Fuck Good are you, well. Julia Child? When did this happen? I didn't know oh. you could do all that. Really? You know, I've been watching uh, the, the Julia Child. like um, Julia and Julia? No, Ju the, her television show is on Amazon Prime right now. Oh, it is. That's right. First of all, right. everything's in black and white, and you cannot see what any food is. It's just a gray the bright, block. The and you're like, ones from the green ones are seen here. You're like, it's, it's black and white. She can't see. throws shit like crazy. She's, <laughs> she's angry. She's pissed. <laughs> Probably because it's all in black and white. And then 18 <laughs> seasons later, it becomes color, and she's a little more relaxed. Who moved my saffron? <laughs> It's a horrible impression. All my really? impressions are tanking today. I'm sorry. So, oh, wow. you know, I, I can say this. I can bring on our guest. You want, you want to meet our guest? I would love to meet. I, you know our guest, but I've just meeting for the first time, and we're already kindred. Like, we're best friends, frankly. I know. I should just leave. This is, this yeah. is called matchmaking for Robbie. I just I introduce, <laughs> then I go away and read a book. Um, I am. Oh, wait. You know it's yes. a big day today, right? Why? What is it? Well, my album came out today oh my gosh yes it did oh my yeah. god why are you yes. plugging me 
Well, I'll Why plug do you I right. have a podcast if you're not going to plug me? Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's go back. Let's go back. I'll plug you now. Hold on one second. <laughs> hey, folks, we have some really exciting news today. Yeah. Our very own Robbie Rizal has dropped his album. Robbie, tell say. us all about this. Uh, I How was that? recorded. That was uh, adequate. Okay, I'll get better. Yeah. Did you used to do announcements in high school? I feel like, yes. I did. I did. Yep. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> You have to turn in your library books if you want to receive your diploma. I, uh, my album, Songs from Inside My Locker, live at Fine Sense 54, below, below, uh, come, it's out now digitally everywhere. And there's a lot of great stuff on it, including um, Jam Tomorrow, Jam Yesterday from Alice in Wonderland. So. This album is fantastic. And I'm not, I, I have heard it. And I'm not saying it because Robbie is one of my best friends. I'm saying this as an avid album lover. Robbie's album is absolutely fantastic. It is so good. It is so funny. It's so heartwarming. I oh, encourage I don't like to brag. I, I encourage everyone, please, please, please go out and buy a copy. It, it's great. And I hope, Robbie, you'll have more albums coming down the pike at some point and some more shows coming down the pike at some point. But I, it's, that's unclear, you know, because Cabaret, uh, that's everything uh, in a tiny space. I think you can do Zoom Cabaret, to be but, honest with you. Yeah. Isn't Alice Ripley doing that every week <laughs> on Instagram Live? But not charging nineteen ninety five. dollars and that's And that's where we're going to switch it for you. <laughs> And so, yes, go ahead and we'll make sure to put links up for Robbie's album as well, because it really is wonderful and fantastic. Uh, Speaking okay. of wonderful and fantastic, yes. I would like to introduce you to our guest to discuss before Stonewall with us. That is the incredible Jarrell L. Henderson from Chicago. Jarrell, how are you doing? I am so well. This is the greatest, it's the greatest Zoom experience I've had in like a month. I just saw you fall over, like fall backwards laughing at one point. <laughs> I'm not mad. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is so much joy right now. Jarrell, so you, you give uh, us so much joy. Jarrell, tell, tell the listeners what you do. Uh, uh, in my spare time, I, I am a <laughs> theater director first, and then mm -hmm. I'm a college professor. I teach at Chicago State uh, University oh, wow. here in Chicago. And I teach theater, African-American theater. I'm going to be teaching African-American film in the fall. Uh, I assume we will be having classes um COVID is a thing and then <laughs> I uh so teaching and directing but I also just really really got into puppeteering I mean I've been into it for a couple years but um I've recently begun to kind of do my own work before I just kind of directed other people um doing my ideas but now that I have the time I'm like actually learning how to build things and I just did the O'Neill puppetry conference uh it was virtual this year um, so I spent the week in my bedroom making a puppet show, which was a shadow puppet show. Shadow puppetry is my jam. So that, oh, I'm also so cool. an African-American musical theater nerd. So that, <laughs> if you look at, if you look at my Instagram feed, you'll see that when I work on puppetry in the morning, I'm also listening to a black musical. Um, what is your so Instagram handle? I love that. Oh, it's a uh, direct NU 15. Done. Direct NU 15. One five, yeah. I'm not clever. I direct. I went to NU and I graduated in fifteen. Listen, so <laughs> mine is Diva Robbie because that was my AOL screen name when I was sixteen years old. Oh my god! And I that's love a cautionary it. fable in branding because here we are, fifty years later. You knew. You saw. I, you yeah. had vision. I I'm a seer, much like the Long Island medium. My my, my Instagram is my first phone number. Buffalo four seven five. Oh good. <laughs> So, okay, so Joe, where did you grow up? I grew up in South Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
South Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. All right. Yeah. In South, South Philly. In South Philly. When did you start to realize you might be a homosexual? Oh, man. Well, for me, it came really early. Uh, it's like it wasn't. The weird thing was finding out that it was wrong or it was seen as wrong. Like that was the big deal for me um, because like I, it, it came so naturally to me and I, I am attracted to both men and women. I always say I'm on the spectrum, but I'm so close to being homosexual that I barely acknowledge it. And no one really, un- very few people that I speak to really understand it anyway. So it's just like, I just say gay and kind of leave it there. It's easier. Um, that wasn't the awakening. The awakening was when like, you know, my dad, and other men around me, because I, I grew up with a, a lot of really what you would call strong black men uh, around me. And so when they begin to have conversations with me about the way that you act, the way that you don't act, the way that you speak, the way that you don't speak, um, you know, and even um, some other family members, uh, you know, not just men, but also some women, um, by what they would say around me. Um, because the assumption was that no one in our family was gay, which we'll talk about that some other day. <laughs> like we have too many family members for no one to be gay. Right. Um, it just numerically, it doesn't make sense. I mean, this film so, would um, tell you that half the people in the world are gay. Yes. I really, yeah. Somebody I, I really identified. That. It's sad that a lot of the, because it was made in the eighties, a lot of the folks grew up in the forties and fifties. I found it, and some even in the 20s, I found it really, really sad that the childhood that they had in terms of being so closed off from um, anything related to homosexuality, I kind of grew up in the same world in the 80s and the uh, 90s, the late 80s going into the early 90s. I was a teenager in the 90s. Um, And so I was just like, wow, that's really sad. I remember talking to my mom a couple years ago uh, because someone had introduced me to Sylvester, the singer. Mm. And I had like no idea who Sylvester was. And they were looking at me like, how do you not know? You have to know who this person like they were around when you were alive and you would have been conscious of them. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. And so when I begin to learn about Sylvester the singer, I'm just like, oh my goodness, like he had hits and he was a big deal. And I went to my mom and I was like, why did I never why didn't anyone ever tell me about this? What do you know? Why, why, and, you know, and um, so that, you know, that's kind of, you know, I, I knew from a very, very early age. And then I learned at a slightly later age, let's say preteens, that it was considered to be wrong in my um, neighborhood. I also, we were very religious, very religious. Um, and there was just no space for homosexuality, even though, again, I would learn in my late teens going into early 20s that so many people in my church were gay. Um, uh, but, you know, it was all you had to you really had to hide it. And so uh, with my parents in my neighborhood, I just learned how to blend in. You know, I, I learned how to, you know, not have yeah, and. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to name stereotypes, but uh, basically anything that could have been construed as gay, like I was never allowed to mm-hmm. have my hands on my hips. I just started putting my hands on my hips in my 30s. It's very free because yeah. sometimes there's just no other place to put your damn hands. And also <laughs> when you let go of those learned habits uh, and you just start living authentically, it's uh, very freeing because you just you are saving so much time because oh you're not God. thinking about that 
Yeah. Um, I read a quote last night that was like, your entire childhood, queer people's entire childhoods are learning behaviors to hide everything and then spending the rest of our life unlearning all of that. So when did you come out? I never had a formal coming out. There was a great, I um, talked to Terrell McCraney who wrote, we were talking about Moonlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote Moonlight. He won, he won the Academy Award for it. And so he came and gave a talk at Northwestern when I was directing one of his plays. And he was, he was talking about his experience in Miami. Um, he was like, you know, in, in black families, at least in mine, we didn't have the like conversation where the whole family sits down and sure. we tell them and everybody hugs. And I can relate to that because I was just like, yeah, I didn't. I am always so blown away and slightly envious when I hear from uh, colleagues, and they're often white white men, that they had these experiences where they were able to tell their family and then be embraced. Because I have no idea what that felt like. Hmm. So basically, I kept it to myself. I mean, and the people that I was, you know, dating, <laughs> sure. I kept it to myself in college because I didn't start dating until college. I was very, very reserved in um, high school. Um, when I left college and I was in my uh, kind of still early, but going into mid twenties, I said to a, a friend of mine, he's kind of like an older brother. We were at the Walnut Street Theater, which was my home theater in Philly, and I was sitting on it's like a little fire hydrant thing just outside the front door of the theater, and I was sitting there, and he walks out, and he goes, "What's wrong?" And I went, "I I'm just sick of pretending that I'm straight." And he went, "Oh, let's walk and talk." And from that moment, um, my, my friend Jose Aviles, um, who works at the Arden Theater now in Philadelphia, um, he really became like a really great friend, older brother, mentor, to, to you know, and he was someone that I could go to and talk about these things. When I would try to talk about them to other people, they would just become so embarrassed by it. Uh, like in college, I would try to talk to people, but they were so embarrassed. Um, this was an undergrad at, at, in the PSU uh, mm. that it was so clear that no one wanted to have this conversation with me. Uh, so Jose was the first person that I met who really did. Um, I mean, there are also a lot of people I didn't trust with the information. Sure. Um, but yeah, and so from there, it was kind of opening up a little, little by little. I would say that the the major breakthrough happened uh, maybe about five or six years ago. I was in my second year of grad school at Northwestern. And uh, while, I mean, grad, grad school was one of the best choices that I made. And Northwestern was such a great program because it's all about getting to the center of who you are. You'll, direct, you'll be fine directing plays. Mm-hmm. Figure out who you are, what you have to say, because if you know that, you'll know what to apply to the plays that you direct. You'll know why your version is your version and you're not just directing it. Um, and so you can't do that kind of, you can't spend that much time with yourself trying to get to truth, but I had built up all these walls. And so when the wall started falling down, Oh man, I remember like I it was like a Thanksgiving night and I came home and like I knew I was I wasn't living the life that I needed to live for myself and I like cried. I just <laughs> like cried for 3 days. Um and it was awful, but after that I like picked myself up and called my mom and I had a really honest and frank conversation with my mom. My dad had died by that point. Um 
And we had a really, really frank and straightforward conversation. And she said the thing that, that moms are, are supposed to say, which is, I, I love you. This doesn't change anything. You know, you got to live the life that you live. And that's when I started to have a healthier relationship with myself so that I could then have a healthier relationship with others. And from that point on, it was like, nope, this is who I am. The train has left the station. You're on the train or you're not on the train. Um, and it was hard because I, I, I think that my family knew. My family knew. I didn't know my mom's not super. My dad certainly isn't or wasn't. Um, I think that there was a lot of quiet guilt for them. Did I do something that made this happen? And also the way that I've been behaving has made him feel X, Y, and Z way. And so weirdly, or maybe not weirdly, interestingly enough, by the time we finally did have those conversations with my brother and my sister, they were super supportive. Um, or at least they were like, they were just like, I hear you. It's all good live your life. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. But we all had to grow into that. I had to grow into that. Um, so yeah, and but you know what's funnier? Since that happened, that second year of grad school, I, I've been the healthier for it. And my work has been so much better. Because I don't spend all my time. I'm not trying, like you said, I'm not trying to cover up anything anymore. I'm so curious for, for, for both of you, and it's a hypothetical, but I'm going to ask anyway. One of the things that really struck me in this movie was the, was the older gentleman who was saying, you know, when the 1950s rolled around, he's like, I have to get married. I have to get married and I have to live in the suburban house and I have to have the wife and I have to have the kids because he, said, he was like, the economy is depending on it, is how he sort of justified it in his mind when he was talking about it. I'm wondering, do we think or do you think if you were living at that time, were you, do you think you would have fallen into that pattern and found a woman and tried to make um, a quote-unquote normal existence? And I'm only saying normal in terms of what 1950s considered normal. Sure. But is that, what do, you, do you think you would have done that or do you think you would have been like some of the other people in there that were like, fuck this, I'm, going, I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm, I'm not going into that lifestyle. I mean, personally, I have always always striven to live authentically uh, as as a, i came out when i was 16 in high school like i was very openly gay in high school not the better for it always but there was just no other way to be like i was the kid who did musical theater in the hallway you did not need flashcards you know what i mean so <laughs> uh no i don't i don't think i could have been i would have been the the person who was like this is this is me um, now, I probably would have uh, believed the science of the day that it was a disease. I am. And if you think it's a disease, do you think it's something that you would then try to actively try to find a cure for said disease? Or would you have... Oh, is, I, it, I mean, I would for sure have been in psychoanalysis. I think that I probably would have gone the Langston Hughes route, which is basically to live a life that you want to live, but to never say it out loud. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, that's, okay. that's how I see it. Cause that, you know, yeah. they were saying in the film that, you know, um, or no, or did I, I might've read it. Um, the first African-American gentleman who speaks, he's a writer and his name is escaping me right now. Oh, Richard, right. Richard. Yeah. Yep, 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 yeah. Yep. Um, there, uh, I was either, it was said, or I was reading about him. I looked him up, um, that he was open. The difference between him and like Langston Hughes is that Langston Hughes never proclaimed that he was gay. He just lived the life that he wanted to live. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And Richard was like, nope, I'm gay. It's out there. Deal with it. So I, I, considering how I lived the first half of my life in the 20 slash 21st century, it's probably much more likely. Um, Although I think if I was living in the 50s, I'd have a kid. (laughs) Because you got a cover. Right, right. That's your... When was the first time you both became aware of an event called Stonewall? When did when did you first realize that even that such a thing even existed? Probably college, because there wasn't a lot of conversation in my home about about gay rights or just that uh, that section of American history. And being quite frankly, being black, being black in America takes up so much space. Mm-hmm. I often felt, and sometimes even now still feel like I have to choose which aspect of myself I'm going to fight or speak out against. I know intellectually mm-hmm. that I am both in all in one. Um, however, um, fighting racism or just dealing with it takes up so much space and time. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like... I feel like the, the other history got lost, but no, the, sh- the short answer to that is probably college. I became aware of Stonewall, and I didn't know until only a few years ago about uh, Marsha P. Johnson, um, mm. who, who threw the first brick. The documentary we were talking about today covers every, covers sort of gay life up to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Which yep. is fascinating. So I did a little digging and Dig I, read a, I read a piece in the Atlantic by uh, Andrea Weiss. Andrea Weiss was one of the researchers of the documentary. Yes. Yes. And she, she said that uh, sh- the reason the documentary was made was because there was zero newsreel footage or TV coverage uh, and barely any photographs taken during the riots, the Stonewall riots, uh, which was very public. Um, and if that wasn't part of the cultural record, what was it before then? So they went to unearth and find everything they could. And she talks about, you know, using code words uh, to try and find, like, what would this footage be under? Uh, it's fascinating to me. And so they made it, uh, they started making it in 1982, which was the year that AIDS uh, first appeared in America um, and and created this film that starts in the, tw- like when film first exists and works its way, so before the 20s, but just before, uh, and works its way to the Stonewall riots. And that's what the film before Stonewall covers. And, and because it's made by a lesbian filmmaker, uh, yeah, it's there are two directors. One is a lesbian. I don't know if the other filmmaker is a gay man or not, but um, there's a lot more uh, female representation than there than there normally are in these films, which I really appreciated. Yeah, and I think you know before we got on the air, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Jarrell, you were saying that there was a lot more representation of color than in most documentaries that, that yes. deal with the subject, right? Yes, I, I yes, I still found it pretty lacking mm-hmm. in that area in terms of experience. However, um, it was just like sprinkled out uh, throughout in a way that I I didn't have to look for long. So, you know, a a Mm -hmm. black person would pop up, um, a Latino person or Latinx would pop up now. And I was, I was really, really happy that um, so much of, of 
kind of the gay media that I've absorbed um, has, has always been centered on white men. So, excuse me. So it was really, really good to see in this documentary so many examples of what um, female or lesbian relationships were or could be. Yeah, I was I was also struck by, and I don't know because you know something we've talked about previously on this podcast is we feel that for for maybe for our generation, so much of the media that we came in contact with was usually portraying you know gay or lesbianism as something that it's sad, it's tragic, you're going to get AIDS, it's not yeah. the lifestyle you should lead, and to watch so many people be so celebratory about their life, especially at the end when they had the reunion of all the yeah. people from the San Francisco bar, to see the joy and to see the acceptance and to see the love and to know that yes this was possible and there and and that that, that this joy did exist at some point and now we're able to benefit from it much much later on i, I found very touching very very touching yeah i i it, it wasn't portrayed when i when i was coming up as sad as much although there was always the like you, you'll go to hell whole other story but the the thing that always um the thing that that annoyed me once i became aware of the prejudices that i had against myself was that homosexuality was always set up as a joke Mm. ah yeah and so when when i was a kid um a living color was on television and the way it was one of the most popular men on film Mm. two Homos- uh, heterosexual men uh, parodying uh, homosexual behavior. And of course, it's all, it's the most extreme form of it. Um, and so to be considered gay means that you have to be like men on film. And one of my favorite parts of the documentary, I forget the gentleman, it was one of the African-American gentlemen who the 50s image of him was him wearing a dress. He was very young mm-hmm. and he was wearing a dress and he was saying, in the 70s, it was like the 60s, it was the 60s version of him, just had him like without a shirt on and the jeans um, with another guy. And he was saying, as they were showing these dual images of him, that when he was younger, he always felt that to be homosexual, you had to be associated with, uh, to be feminine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as he matured and as he learned more about himself and about um, uh, other people that, that he was surrounding himself with, being gay meant that you could be whatever version of yourself you wanted to, that it wasn't necessarily feminine, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was just fantastic that that was said out loud. And to see the dual images of him growing in an awareness of himself, it was very powerful. It was really powerful because that's how, that's what I was taught. As if to be feminine is, is a bad thing, is a negative thing. Yeah. I mean, the, the psychology behind, at least in um, the African-American community that I grew up in, the psychology behind it, which is really just a, a demonization of what it means to be a woman, who we also say are the strongest people and they're queens and you got to lift your queen up. Mm. And yet, everything that is bad about being a man is equated with what it means to be a woman. Because the, the first uh, sort of wave of gay rights had happened through the 70s uh, and the, the love revolution, etc. And then creeping back into the closet and hiding again and that shame again. Um, it was fascinating to see some of these film clips that went back to like pre-code film. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. To, to see, yes, that joy and that joy. 
joy is like the word, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And to sure. also hear all those, like the the music that's used in this film, uh, which is used very well. Isn't it yeah. wonderful? Mm-hmm. I, it, I was Googling and, and shazamming. Like, yes. what, is this, <laughs> what is this song? Because this other than, so interesting. Other than yeah. the Doris Day song, I... <laughs> I knew none of it, and I loved it. I loved that uh, the the uh, Apollo Entertainer, uh, Gladys uh, Bentley, Gladys Bentley, yeah, yes, yeah. who Terry White needs to play in a bio <laughs> musical. Yes, um, Queen Terry White, go who, play Gladys, who married her girlfriend, Donna. And they, yeah, and they were like, when she went off to Atlantic City. She yeah. married a girlfriend. Please, let's talk about that. Because, and you also see at some point like home video footage with like a wedding cake. A full-on It's a wedding. A full wedding. Yes. And, like, he just said, yeah, she went off to Atlantic City, married her girlfriend, came back on Monday. And I was like, yeah. I'm so sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need you back up because um, I yeah, got to know everything was, about Yeah, and this like, the, the 20s, the 1920s? Am yeah. I getting that right? Yeah, no, 20s, yeah, the 20s like, and 30s. Yeah. And 30s. Yeah. yeah. Going into the 30s. Yeah. Because that's, it was just incredible. I, and like, the, it's Sorry. Mm-mm. No, go ahead, please. I, I love part part of what I really did like about this documentary. It's it's I, I love a good documentary in general, but I love watching folks who in this really a, a time period which seems and was incredibly repressive and oppressive, but to see people just say, F it, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Mm-hmm. And so to see her you know, I don't wear dresses. I wear pants because I want to wear pants. Mm-hmm. You know, to see her so rooted in her identity, um, you know, and we, you know, right now, I'm like, oh, it's so brave. I'm sure it cost her as well. Sure. Absol- absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. But she, want, she was going to live the life that she wanted to live mm-hmm. on her terms. And damn. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea of building your own community, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To to, to find, and how do you find that community when it's not, you know, there's no like outwardly and openly as a gay, you know, come join the gay club. I was really struck by the woman who um, later on said, you know, I went into a room, we were putting together a magazine together and there were 12 other lesbians in there. It was the first time I've been in a room with lesbians and her face lit up and you go, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. You're not alone. And, and thank God that, you know, for so many of our younger generation today, we have the internet, we have the ability to know very quickly, you're not alone. But this woman yeah. had some age on her before she realized, I'm not the only one. Yeah. And they were talking about how uh, they had created this magazine about um, le- uh, to be a lesbian and mailing it, you know, it would be mailed from one house to another, from one state to another you know people who knew other people and that's kind of how this information got around um it's really fantastic it's really fantastic they had they literally had to build their community out of what we now call snail mail but that was how one person reached out to another person it's really fantastic and i love the idea of like i get the magazine I'm going to read it, that I'm going to send that magazine to you. It wasn't like a subscription where we're like printing 90 of them. It was when yeah. I'm done with it, I'll give it to Robbie, who'll give it to Jarrell. See, and it just makes if that were way. happening now, I would just be COVID. I would be spraying. I've invested in a UV lamp, so I just put yes, the UV yes, lamp over Oh, you're, 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 you're so good. 
You're so good. Um, and I also loved the woman who was talking about uh, she she was in the army. Johnny Phelps. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I and love Johnny Phelps. Yes. She who took on Eisenhower. She what? Yes. Come on. She was fabulous. Took on Eisenhower. And Eisenhower, she's like, yeah. respectfully, uh, I will be the first name on the list of uh, lesbians because you're trying to get rid of them all. And then his secretary going, actually, you'll be the second. Yeah. <laughs> Hold my beer. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be first. I'll be yeah. first. And then I was like, all right, fine, never mind. <laughs> Just like, a it's, man it's, rescinded. Yeah, yep. it's, that's an incredible story. Yeah. That is an absolutely mm -hmm. incredible, incredible story. I'm wondering, so I don't even know how to phrase this, but like watching some of the pre-code yeah. footage, like the one where it's the cowboy, right? Mm -hmm. And the two cowboys mm -hmm. are fighting and then there's like the, the quote unquote unfeminine cowboy who like tries to flirt with the other cowboy. The other cowboy just sort of like shrugs his shoulders and walks away. And mm -hmm. I keep thinking like at some point, like in the 50s or 60s, if they had filmed that scene, like the cowboy that's being flirted with would beat the crap out of this yeah. guy. But back then he just, he like shrugs his shoulders and it's, it's acknowledging like they're everywhere. Not my thing. It's Cause you know what Hays I mean? Code, the Hayes code came in and, and uh, said, this is how, this is what is respectable. And this is the only way that you can be on screen. The power of media though, mm -hmm. the power of media then to teach everybody, no, this is yeah. what, this is what's wrong. And everyone buys into it. Mm -hmm. And you look so clearly before that it's it's just mind boggling it's to me. Just mind boggling or, to me. Or the idea that if it is gonna exist, it has to exist as either a fatal flaw or a joke. Right. What, yeah, one or the other. Uh, one I, or the other. I think I spent a lot of time, one, because Blazing Saddles was a favorite movie of mine for years. Mm -hmm. And I still respect why they did it. Um, but but uh the the very famous scene where they knock into the sound stage mel uh mel brooks has dom de louis staging oh, yeah. a large gay musical so it's a bunch of so-called gay men in tuxedos doing a silly dance down the staircase mm -hmm. and then a bunch of cowboys go slamming into it um and i remember someone asking me uh, i was talking about um african-american images uh during a class on minstrelsy and uh in the history of film and Blazing Saddles, of course, comes up because there's a, a lot of <laughs> problematic things in Blazing Saddles. Sure. However, someone asked me if I, um, if I still enjoy watching the film. And I remember thinking, and I was thinking about that scene, even though that's not about blackface. Um, and I said, yes, but I don't know if I like it because I don't think, I don't know if I like the film because it's funny or because I was taught to hate myself. Mm. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just like, I do find it funny, but I might find it funny because I was taught that to be gay is to be so outlandish and so ridiculous, which is actually a form of self-hate. You know what I mean? It's, it's That's really a trope that runs through a lot of Mel Brooks's work. It really is. Um, the producers, for example. Yep. <laughs> being the heaviest of them. Keep it gay, keep it gay, keep it gay. Right. But he's also such a satirist that there's that side of the coin too. Yeah, yeah. The question is where that line of satire and how far is too far and, and, right. and what it's based on and what it does, which is kind of what I mean when I say that. It, it's also what I mean when I say that I was, I was taught to hate myself. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And again, yeah. I understand the idea behind it, but again, like when I see a white actor, like Tropic Thunder, oh, Robert sure. Downey Jr. wins an Oscar for being in blackface, and I always say, no, I, I get the satire. I, I get it intellectually. It makes perfect sense to me why Ben Stiller did it the way that he did it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's still a white guy in blackface, right? You know what I mean? And where is that? Um, where is that line? And and so yeah, yeah. so for for me it uh, I don't know you know I mean that's still happening right now like two days ago Tina Fey asked for four, yeah for Thirty Rock yeah four episodes of Thirty Rock to be pulled because of blackface um, the ones I never watch <laughs> I watch all the other ones isn't that why um, it's it's wild to me um, because I I would venture to say like that's my favorite sitcom. Um, because it's smart and stupid at the same time, and you really have to be paying attention, which I enjoy. Um, but it's just wild to me that nobody said, actually, you know what's not a good idea? <laughs> that? <laughs> well, the, and they do such an interesting job with how they play homosexuality. I mean, we're now in the 21st century, right? Mm-hmm. And so the idea that the Alec Baldwin character can have a joke where the acronym for the acronym for what Tina Fey is to him spells the word dick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So he, you know, she has just the right amount of dick, and mm-hmm. I hear it, but I don't care. You know, um, but this whole yeah. idea of you know, he's the ultimate man's man, but still, you know, he's he's not he's not so much of a manly man that he that he's right. against embracing the silly the silly thing that he's made up um and the play between him and uh the the other i can't remember any names today um the other the bad guy the devin oh uh-huh sure, sure. you know what i mean and mm-hmm. the, they, they always have this really great sexual tension i love the scene they're they're almost uh, will kissing. Arnett. yeah, yeah <laughs> yes yes mm-hmm. thank you they're almost kissing. He goes, I'm not trying to make this gay. I swear it's just coming out this way. You know what I <laughs> yeah, mean? Sure. The way that they use power language. It's language connected to power, but with that power also comes attention, possible sexual attention. And it's right. written in there. Yeah, it's, it's a really well done show. Uh, her, I, I think. Uh, yes. Well, because I've also been, right now I'm rewatching Cougar Town. Uh, because Ooh, it's I've a, never seen that. It's Do funny. You know? It's Really? You haven't received Five it, seasons? No. Five. Courtney Cox. <laughs> Uh, Busy Phillips. It's very funny, but like every Courtney Cox uh, sitcom, there's a lot of gay panic like written into it, which is weird. Wait, what do you mean by gay panic? Like, oh my god, I'm gay? Like all of Friends, every third episode of Friends should be called The One with the Gay Panic. Because, <laughs> oh, we're napping together. Oh, we might be gay. Oh, yeah. oh, I never watched Friends. Wow. What? Are you alive? <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm going to say something, but I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Did, I never watched Friends. Did you not Friends. have TBS on from 4 to 5 every day? TBS was on from 4 to 5, but I was usually watching, like, Mama's Family on Punky Brewster. Or pun- don't you... See, Rob, Jarrell? this is why we get along. Mm-hmm. See, Rob, this is why the two of us get along. Jarrell, he's coming for Punky Sorry. Brewster. I, I, know. I would I, never I, come I for Punky. It. I heard Punky! It. I was ready... <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Not just that, but Mama's family. Okay. That, oh, well, I, Rob, what, who was mo- your crush? I had a moment of. Oh, was, um, Ken, Ken Barry, Bubba. I had a huge Ken crush Barry. on Bubba. 
Ken, oh, Ken Daddy? Berry. Da- Daddy Ken Berry? No, Ken Bubba. Bitten. Bubba. Bitten. Oh, okay, my well, goodness. I had a huge I... crush on Bubba. We can all agree no one wanted to sleep with Iola, though. That's the one thing we can all agree on. <laughs> can we at least find compromise at Beverly Archer? Unfortunately. <laughs> Not in any of our fantasies. Lyle Wagoner in no Wonder Woman. I, <laughs> oh, hot. I, I kind of wish that my father was still alive so that I could call him and tell him that I just had a conversation <laughs> where the words, none of us wanted to sleep with Iola were mentioned. I never thought that, <laughs> that would ever happen to me in my life. Well, it's, <laughs> it's recorded. Here we are. And, and, and here we are, family. folks. Here we are, <laughs> folks. Let me, I'm so uh, curious. I wanted to ask you all. Um, we we meet in this documentary so many I think wonderful interesting people our 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 forefathers and all of this and four mothers. If you could pick any of them to have dinner with, who'd you pick? Who would you who would you want to go out to dinner with and be like, hey, tell me more? Oh, I know the guy who re- I cannot remember his name, and I'm so sorry, but he recites that Carol Davis. Let's talk about him because John Lithgow should play him. Carol Davis, the poet, my most intimate friend. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I, I was like, yes, you, you. I would love to talk to him. Can, you know what I loved about Carol Davis's section is he recites this poem, my most mm-hmm. intimate friend, which is hysterical. And Robbie, I just want to make sure whoever dies first, the other one is going to recite that at the funeral. <laughs> I'm actually having Michael John Lacusa set it to music. So I Great. Fantastic. <laughs> but then I love they wow. interviewed the woman right after. <laughs> and she was like, she goes, she goes, yeah, she goes, uh, you know, Carol, but he's showbiz folk. You know, they, they put, they're, they're, she goes, you can't touch them. Like we're carnies. Yep. Like, it made me so happy. Like she, yep. she was flustered yep. talking about him. Once okay, a carny, uh, always a carny. So you're going for Carol Davis. <laughs> if yeah. Carol, if Carol's going to go with you, I want to go out with Johnny Phelps again. I want to oh, hear yeah. more about like, what else did you do to Eisenhower? Like, what else did you do in this <laughs> army? Because I feel like she took no shit from anybody, this woman. I was like, mm-hmm. I want to know more. What about you, Jarrell? Who are you going to take it out? It will be Richard, without question. Without mm-hmm. question. The, the first gentleman that I mentioned, because he was a poet during the Harlem Renaissance, because he, you know, he was such a, a badass. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a film about him called Brother to Brother or something oh. like that. And Anthony Mackie is in it. And um, like he meets him. Anthony Mackie is a younger man at the time and he meets him. Or it's it's a character based on him. But anyway, um, and there's a scene where he gets arrested in the bathroom. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there was an undercover cop and mm-hmm. he gets arrested and so but he doesn't go to jail. <laughs> and he and he's the character was standing in a courtroom. And uh, the judge says, you know, well, you put your hands in this man's pants and Richard or the Richard character says, listen, there were four buttons on his pants. He could have stopped me at any time between one and three. (laughs) And the judge, the judge hears me like, you know what? You're right. Like, listen. Oh, that's great. Okay. If that's a true story or story based on who he was, I would want to have a conversation with him. Listen, I got, he let me get all the way to touching his penis. Okay. Like, Uh, and he could have told me he was a cop at any time. (laughs) 
<laughs> I I love that. I love that. You know, so you know who else I really enjoyed in this? I also liked Harry Otis. Do you remember Harry Otis? He was the dancer. <laughs> he was the dancer who was like, my aunt and uncle were gay. Mm. Like oh, really early on, goodness. he goes, my aunt and uncle were gay and they just encouraged me. But then he goes on to describe, he was like, well, the, the way you knew guys were gay was, he goes, if the tie and the hanky matched. Yep. He goes, if the tie and the hanky yeah. matched, you knew and you would go up to them and go, can I have, what time is it? Or can I have a match? And the hanky like, code, the hanky code, which was great. But yep. I also loved when he starts talking about the parties. He was like, mm. we had parties and there was saltines and salami and bathtub gin. And I was like, this is yes. a party. And he also like, <laughs> described exactly how bathtub gin is made down yes. to putting grenadine yes, in it. Really and I was did. like, yes, you better. I and love he's it. like, they watered it down with a lot of ice. Yeah. And, and I was like, it was that's a frappe. Marie's it was crisis. A <laughs> he was like, it's a frappe. Uh-huh. But what I love about this is, look, we, where is, we talked about this, I think, Robbie, on the last episode with Clay. But, like, where is our history? Like, like it's not in the textbooks. No. I don't remember. I, I called a bunch of friends from high school. I said, did you ever remember reading anything in any of our textbooks about gay, le- no, zero, never. none. So, no. oh, go ahead, Joel. Yeah, sorry. Well, I, I, no, I let me know if, if I'm going off on what you were saying. No. I think it's because we, we lost a generation. Oh, 100%. Yeah. To pass it. And I remember um, I, I, inter- I interviewed George C. Wolf, And mm. one of the things that he spoke about was like the, the, usually the, our culture in terms of uh, gay culture, homosexual or LGBTQIA culture has often been oral because it's not in the textbooks because people weren't making movies about it. Mm-hmm. And when they do, they get it all screwed up and historically inaccurate and have a young white man throw the first brick at Stonewall even though that's nowhere near what happened. Don't get me started. So <laughs> our history has often been passed down orally, but with the AIDS crisis, there's a giant, giant gap 100%. in um, information that was that wasn't able to be passed down because so many people died. And you know what scares me is, think about it, if these producers said, no, we're not going to make this movie, there's nothing else out there with these people. Right. There is nothing else out there that has these people talking about their experiences. And you're right, it is an oral tradition that's passed down. So thank God these people came out and decided to make this film. And, you know, we were talking, well, let's, I think we can explore this now. You know, we are so used to, I think, the way documentaries are made now. You know, there's very quick cutting and there's amazing footage. And this is, it feels a little bit like one of those, you know, films that they would put on like in seventh grade explaining like reproductive system. You know, like the man loves the woman. And you know what I mean? And you're just like, <laughs> and you're like is something going to happen? You know what I'm- and so for a younger generation that I think really needs to see this, mm-hmm. really needs to see this to understand their history, that it didn't just start with a riot in 1969. It was going on way before that. Yeah, How it you- wasn't just Judy Garland died and then the police <laughs> raided a bar. Yeah, like, exactly. So exactly. much happened before Dorothy dropped in. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. you that's just, the, you that's just, the wicked tagline. I have tag never heard that way. <laughs> I I think that actually we should take Stonewall and we should put that tagline on before mm-hmm. Stonewall and I bet yeah. you everyone would watch it. Everybody. They, they think because it's a they, bootleg they, of Wicked. Yep, Jessica Vosk is just wandering in to sing a song. That's what they think is about to happen. <laughs> Julia Murney is like in the wings, just waiting That's, to run on. Uh, <laughs> 
So I'm what- actually reading an excellent book right now about yeah. uh, uh, Frank uh, Kamene. Kameni? Kameni. Kameni, Kameni. I'm not sure. But he was an astronomer who worked for the U.S. Defense Department and yep. was set up by the police um, and terminated because um, they, they were in like a shaft over the men's room and saw him touch somebody's penis for four seconds and how he sued. Um, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, Thank God this book, and it's called uh, The Deviant's War, The Homosexual Versus the United States of America. Thank God this book exists, because, and it just came out. Um, highly recommend it. Uh, because, again, it's another piece of history that otherwise is just lost. Yeah, the whole idea of, I mean, we, we forget now, and those who come after us will never know mm-hmm. um, the, the want for entrapment that yeah. Uh, our governing right. our governing system had um, in order to demonize and suppress uh, outwardly what we would now call homosexual, but you know LGBTQIA uh, behavior, um, yeah, and so the still idea, happening. So the George idea Michael. that what ha- sorry, I'm not familiar with that. Please oh, G- George Michael was entrapped in a men's room. Uh, by the police. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. And now they're doing it on Grinder with with oh. drug busts. Yeah, with wow. drug with drug busts. But it's it's a still it's still the same idea. I mean, yeah. I hope these police never go to the Marriott Marquis bathroom. <laughs> but that's, that's you're going to create an app for that a cruising app. <laughs> yeah, I'm just building cruising it. It's called. Broadway. I'm thinking like Grinder with like an E. Oh, you're so smart. Thank no, you well, so if, it's, much. if it takes place in um, on Broadway, wouldn't it have to have an apostrophe after it? Yeah, it's oh, a yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> Just like an exclamation. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry Herman <laughs> wrote it. Grinda! Grinda! And there's musicality to the songs. Cruising. How dare something. you give it's me a cause Sunday in the Park with George reference? I can't. <laughs> Good night. You know, you know why, Robbie? Because I attended trivia this past weekend with Rob, wow. Wow. and that's how I know. Rob, you're doing that every week, right? We are. We are. We are doing it every week, and every week it's we're we're donating our all of our proceeds to a nonprofit. I love that. Because love yes, that. it needs to happen. Because yes. Because yes. <laughs> And, and then hopefully I'll make enough money to produce Grinda! Exclamation point. <laughs> Honestly, never my new show. Exclamation point. There's <laughs> actually a Grinder of the Opera. That's a true there is. thing. Yeah. yeah uh, my, cr- uh, a colleague of mine from Philly, Eric Ransom, um, wrote it. And I saw it when he it came to Chicago last summer. And I got a chance to see it. It was so much fun. It was so and much now, fun. It's Grinder Placido, of the Opera. Placido Domingo <laughs> will sing Do You Host? From Grinding the Opera. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. Like, yeah. <laughs> the show starts at eleven o'clock at night. It ain't oh. Hamlet. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Renee Fleming with stats <laughs> at the mat. Sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, bubble sills with no fats, no femmes. Uh, <laughs> bubble gross. sills, Beverly sills yeah. with no fats, no femmes. <laughs> Horrible. You're a All horrible right. person. Let's <laughs> let's get back on the track. Carrie Takawana with you cut. 
Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. ASL. <laughs> <Sex> location. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Man. little bit of AOL that, M for M for you. Is that is that grinder? That, no, because you don't need a location. It's yeah, just, it, right. That's old it school. For you. Right. Yes. That's a throwback Thursday for the kids. That's, that's, there you go. Actually, kids. Rob, I think one of our episodes should just be AOL M for M chat rooms. <laughs> Oh my God! You met oh everybody God. in there. Invite me back. Yeah, <laughs> Drill, <laughs> Drill. invite me back. That bring, bring your friends, Drill. So anyway, going. Sorry, go, going back friends. though. Bring your friends. It's <laughs> a party. They're all go, right here. Go, going, yeah. going back to to the actual quality of this film. We yes. we've had we've had. So I I am in the camp of I really like this film. I I'm I'm a history buff and I'm willing to forgive it for just about everything, but. Other thoughts. Other other thoughts. What could be better? What could be improved? Kids well, that are watching, be prepared for fill in the blank. I do want to say that it was nominated for the Grand Prize Jury for Sundance and that it won the Best Film Award at Houston International Film Festival, Best Documentary uh, at another. And then it was it won two Emmys wow. uh, two years later for Best Historical Slash Cultural Program. And best research, and that was in 1987. It won two Emmys. 1987, like wow. that's wild, given the subject matter. Um, I did not connect to this film uh, the way I have connected to other things, and I don't know if that's uh, because I certainly grew up. Uh, you know, I was born in '76, so um, like I I grew up not knowing like all we had was Charles Nelson Riley and Paul Lind um, and Waylon Flower and Madam, but, uh, and Rock Hudson on that one B. Arthur special uh, singing, Hey, they're good times. Riley snaps. Um, I, but I didn't connect to it uh, probably because there's been so much media since then. Oh uh, yes. That has like pushed the, the line of, uh, of gay rights. I mean, this isn't so much about gay lights as it, uh, rights, gay lights. Gay lights are just Christmas time. Uh, it's not so much about, <laughs> it's not so much about that as it is about gay liberation. Yes. Um, and so it was interesting, but I don't, I, it wasn't the greatest documentary I've ever seen. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah, I did watch the 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 refurbished one that was released. Me too. Yeah, so but still, it's yeah. still, yeah. I mean, it's nice to see it refurbished. Yeah, it feels dated, but um, again, there were things to take from it. Um, and uh, I, like I said, a lot of female representation, which I think is very important, because all I ever hear about are gay white men. So to hear about anything beyond that is like, oh. Thank and, you. And also, if I may really quickly, a demographic that I don't think is explored a lot in our culture, which is everyone in this was, what, 50 and above? Yeah. 60 and yeah. above? You know, there's this this idea that, like, once you hit a certain age in our community, it's like, well, you're, you're legally not, dead. You're legally mm -hmm. dead in Hell's Kitchen, to, Correct. to quote Robbie Rozelle's album, which has dropped today. Don't but forget. Also, but also, like, but, you are, you know? Uh, and, and to see these this older generation that not only are talking about what they went through for for us to celebrate our own lives, but that the fact that they're still vital, 
they're still sexual, they're still flirtatious, they're still filled with great love, and there is so much life left in all of these individuals. This, and also this documentary also makes me feel a little melancholy because you see them all celebrating and laughing at the party and you don't, and you don't know that waiting out, they don't know the waiting outside right. for them is this AIDS crisis that's gonna mm-hmm. come in any second, you know? Yeah. So it's almost like that scene in a horror movie before the monster shows up and everyone's partying and having a good time, just oblivious to the fact that something dangerous is waiting for them. So I appreciate it for that, but I agree. It's, 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 it's got a very PBS rigid yes. feeling to its, its editing, which is so antithetical, I think, to what we all now know as documentary filmmaking. But it, I, does, yeah. it does also have the horrors of chunky jewelry. There's a lot oh, the of chunky, chunky jewelry. jewelry. Was it like the, the, the one from Seattle? Was like it that, that one, one very big necklace? That, yes. that was a statement piece. That's, that's what you took away from no, but chunky also, jewelry. But as w- watching it, I was like, I oh, I, thank kidding. God we don't have those hairstyles anymore. Uh, <laughs> that's why God. you weren't able to connect with it. The jewelry. No. <laughs> Robbie watched it again blindfolded and, and fell in love with it and couldn't stop crying. <laughs> As soon as he saw Chunky Jewelry. I watched it twice. I gave it I gave it the let's try. I'm so curious, you know, are there any other documentaries that focus either more heavily on the queer African American experience or besides Paris is burning? Yeah. Jesus, just one that we can think of readily. I I can think of that and I can think of the, the documentary about Madonna's backup dancers. Not truth or dare, but oh yeah, it's on Netflix. Hold on, I don't even know that. Yeah, it's so they all got back together. See how I we were like that's what I that's I while Robbie's looking that up. That's one of the things I love about doing this show. It's just like we all have our own histories, and we're all so desperate for like whatever niche thing we can find to find out more about ourselves. That when we all come together as a collective group, it's so fun to trade and be like, I saw this and I have that. And have you seen that? I love this. I absolutely yeah. love this. It's called Strike a Pose. Strike a Pose. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all I know the what backup I'm dancers who are in Truth or Dare who are still alive. Uh, still, because of oh, course, Jesus. Well, some God, of them yeah. uh, died from AIDS. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a, but those are the two that I can think of. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, and I thought it made me think of that all that other movie that came out about Stonewall that whitewashed it. Right. Oh, you know what I mean? Titled Stonewall. Yes. Yeah. It, I was just like, wow, they literally have a person of color and the brick to a white guy. That's wait, the, wait, I've not seen this. Is that what they do? What <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wait, really? It's, I've not seen this. That oh, you gotta be kidding me. I didn't see it either. That it's was in a, Jonathan Reese Myers. Uh it plays the white savior. Um, yeah, and it's written by John Robin Bates. So, so they have Mar- Marsha Johnson hands him a brick, and he it's just, not Marsha Johnson. I, it's like a young yeah. Latinx kid uh, who's with the white guy, and he like literally hands the white guy a brick. And I'm like, wow, that's Hollywood. Mm-hmm. That is Hollywood because that's not what happened. And it also takes away from the risk of it, you know. Um, the risk. But it made me. It made me. It made me. Be, it made me grateful that documentaries like Before Stonewall existed, because they really, really wanted to tell the truth of how it was. They didn't want to make it palatable to an audience. You know what I mean? Um, it it has integrity. 
this documentary. I hope you'll come back and join us again. Please do. This is the weirdest sitcom I've ever filmed. Um, <laughs> and once and once again, Joe, your social media, Instagram. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. Direct nu one five. The word direct. The letter n. The letter u. The number fifteen. And it's my insta. It's I'm only. Oh, I'm on Twitter now. Um, it's my Instagram and my Twitter. Also, it's not right. a picture of me. It's a picture of me in shadow because I love shadow puppetry. I love but, it. So you gave us everything. I was thrilled. But Robbie. Uh, it was my pleasure. Yeah. I haven't laughed this hard in a very long time. Well, you're welcome. And you Good. can Venmo. <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> hey, be, before he Venmos you, yeah. where can we get your album, Robbie? Everywhere. Ooh, digitally. Yeah. And truly everywhere. Called? Uh, songs from inside my locker live at vine Sense 54 below it's and so we funny. got some guests we got we've got bonnie milligan and maya days and i do some aida uh we do we do a do, step too far on it which is my favorite thing do you want to tell your aida story or sh should we have everyone just listen to no, the album on the album it's such All a good I'm story is, it's such a good okay i was robbed twice and both times <laughs> my disc man was stolen and aida was in it and i never replaced it because comedy comes in threes and that was a tragedy <laughs> Losing both Heather Headley was a tragedy. <laughs> both twice. times. Twice. twice. You lost her twice. That's why I never got it again. Hey, happy Pride. Hey, Robbie, yeah. what is everyone's homework, though, for next oh. week? What are they supposed to have watched before well, they gonna, listen to us? We're going to talk about a very, very important uh, piece of gay history, and that is the episode of Ellen titled The Puppy Episode. And it's Ellen's coming out. Do you know why it's called The Puppy Episode? I do not. Oh, so when they all were in the writer's room thinking about, like, what can we do for, El like, what are we, you know, we pitching storylines. One of them was, I don't, I don't know, Ellen gets a puppy. And uh, when, like, this major thing was about to happen. And so she titled it The Puppy Episode. That's I did not know that. Not so wild. we will we will post a link for that so everyone can go and watch it. But it's the episode where Ellen comes out. 97? 98? 96 or 97. Wow. Yeah. Isn't Oprah Oprah's in it. Yes, Oprah Oprah's plays the her therapist. psychiatrist. Yep. Uh Academy Award winner Laura Linney. Nope. Nope. Laura Dern. Laura Dern. They're the same person. They <laughs> could do sideshow somewhere. <laughs> In an old age, home, they could do it. Oh, can I be Norm Lewis? Can ah, yes, you should be loved. The revival. Ooh, there's a there's a Norm Lewis story on my album. I'd love to tie it back. Uh, okay. <laughs> songs from inside my locker now available on iTunes. But but the puppy episode is one of the best uh, writing of television, That's truly great. ever. And All right. It, opens with the all of them saying ellen you have to come out like she's in the closet getting dressed for a date or whatever and they're like come on you've been in there forever it's really fun <laughs> ellen <laughs> great so there it is folks ellen for next week hope you enjoyed before stonewall drill we are so happy you were here hopefully you'll join Thank us again you. for another episode down the line and everyone please stay safe stay healthy take care of yourself and buy robbie's album songs from inside my locker but more I importantly, just purchased it. <gasps> yes. Jarrell just purchased it. We made a purchase. What a life I'm leading. I can now buy some simple syrup. <laughs> That's a callback. Get out. Which is also comedy. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> uh, have a happy and safe pride. Uh, make sure that you are uh, keeping well, but also that you're demanding justice for Brianna. Um, 
that her killers are brought to just uh, arrested, first of all. 100 days as of today? Is that right? Over 100 days. Over 103. Yeah, unacceptable. So just keep fighting for what is right and stay hydrated. We love you. And we will see you next week.